We are a group of friends bound by our appreciation for liberty and good podcasting. Free-minded thinkers from all walks of life, our values come together with one accord to discuss the common culture and news of the day, along with whatever random crap is going on in our lives. Welcome to the Union of the Unknowns. Welcome to the latest exciting episode of Union of the Unknowns. And we have a great cast of unknowns for you again today. Uh, I'm going to call you all out. And if you could all say hello in your own unique fashion, that would be great. So uh, from left to right on my screen, we have Bruce, Bruce C. Hey, everybody. Um, I'm here. <laughs> Thank you. And then we have Ashley, Think, Change, Repeat. Hey, hey, how you doing? Keel Keelthor. Greetings from the suburban outskirts of Atlanta, Georgia. <laughs> <laughs> Nicely said. Uh, Jackie, Jacqueline, uh, ATL Connector, who's in a car at the moment. Hola! I think. Uh, Stella, Stella Q from the land of Oz. Hello, I'm representing the Southern Hemisphere here. And a great <laughs> weight on my shoulders. Yeah, I'm very welcome, you are too. And uh, Toons from the Toonstead. From the free state of New Hampshire, representing the 603. How are you? <laughs> and finally, me, Terry, a.k.a. Terence, or Terry Canary, uh, who's going to briefly hand over to Keelthor, who's going to tell us something very interesting about nuclear power, which is our topic for today. Thank you, Terence. Um, so we have been talking about well, we briefly talked about nuclear war uh, in a past episode, and uh, I, my brother is a health physicist. He's got degrees in physics and health physics, and he works in the nuclear industry. And so I talked to him, and he gave me a little write-up about stuff that we all can do as normal folks uh, to prepare for and in the event of a nuclear attack, nuclear war, you know, the whole big apocalypse thing we have in our, had in our heads for the past, what, 50, 60, 70, 80 years, something like that. Uh, what we can do to kind of survive and uh, uh, make it. So, can I, first can off, I just ask, does, does it involve putting your head between the, your legs and kissing your ass goodbye? <laughs> you know what? <laughs> If you live in one of the cities that is probably a major target, that's probably the best thing you can do. Right. <laughs> the only thing you can do. What about getting under a desk? A school desk? I'm made to understand that that would be helpful. If it's, a, if it's a school desk built in the 40s and 50s, maybe so. But uh, the way they make them these days, I'm sure. Well, they're like masks you have to wear too. Right. <laughs> and my my I'm desk talking. protects your desk. Two desks. Two desks. Yeah. <laughs> you got to wear two desks, yeah. <laughs> um it was a door in the UK. You had to get under a door. I think you had to take it off the hinges first, which was, you know, <laughs> perhaps a bit of a challenge when the balloon went up. But you see, you see the flash coming and run out and get your right. tools. Get your screwdriver, you know. <laughs> um, well, Kiel, before you get started, I did want to ask if you maybe wanted to go over a, just briefly, like, what is a scenario that we're talking about? And I don't mean just like one bomb, but like sort of the whole mutually assured destruction situation that could could impact, you know, a nation or many nations versus just one isolated city, which would obviously be bad enough. So you're talking about our current situation involving Russia and Ukraine and China and Taiwan and all these little uh, tripwires that are just waiting to be tripped. So in my opinion, uh, we're, we're probably, I, I bet we won't even see it coming. As regular folks sitting here in your homes, I think it's just going to be a flash of light, whether we even acknowledge if our brain can process that in the amount of time and then it's all going to be gone because if once once the nukes start flying no no nation that has nukes is going to sit down and think about it they're not going to say well we're going to let russia 
send a nuke and hit uh, Washington, and that'll be it. You know, we're going to send nukes into Russia, and then they're going to respond again, or maybe everything will just fly all at once. But it's it's not just going to be an isolated incident, in my opinion. It's all going to happen. If it happens at all, it's all going to happen at once. Uh, you could probably argue now that Russia has uh, held their elections in uh, the Donbass region, and that's, according to them, officially part of Russia now. Mm-hmm. And they can say, okay, we're, now, we're not invading Ukraine anymore. We're defending Russia. And they start using some of their tactical battlefield nukes that people have been talking about in Ukraine. Maybe that's a different situation. But if, it, if Russia ever feels so pinned back that because of NATO and America reinforcing Ukraine and pouring all of our money and weapons into Ukraine, we're basically fighting a war with Russia already. If Russia says, I've had enough, America is the problem, not Ukraine, and they send a nuke to America, then it's all over. That's, that's how I see things. But anyway, that's that will be a scenario. Let's let's assume that I'm wrong and all-out yes, nuclear all-out nuclear war does not wipe everybody off the face of the planet all at once. Right. There are things to do and things before and after a nuclear attack that could help mitigate your chances of survival. So the I'm just going to read down this paper that he that my brother made up for me. Um, so the first thing he did was defined uh, bomb fallout as radioactive particulates or dust created by a fission event, an atomic bomb, that are transported downwind and eventually deposited on surfaces, causing contamination. That's what we're looking at. Radioactive dust. That's the problem. He lists the dangers in order of the highest hazard to lowest. Number one is the inhalation of the airborne fallout. Don't want to inhale it. Don't want to breathe the stuff in. The ingestion of contaminated food or water. Number three, skin exposure from contamination on the body or clothing. Number four, external radiation emanating from ground contamination. So, just things to keep in mind. These are the ways that can you can be uh, hurt by radiation after a bomb has gone off. Some things he notes here. Fallout may or may not be visible as dust particles. So you may not even know it's around you. Contamination is easily spread through contact with contaminated surfaces. And children, including unborn children, are more sensitive to radiation exposure than adults. Hmm. That's something probably most people don't know. I didn't know that. Then he, then he gives a list of tips to reduce exposure. He says, first of all, don't panic. Hey. <laughs> hey. If you survived the immediate blast effects and were far enough away to not receive a significant direct radiation dose, then the worst part is over, he says. The hazards from fallout are not likely to be immediately life-threatening. The goal now is to reduce your exposure to radiation in order to limit increased cancer risk. Right. He says, next, keep an eye on local weather conditions. Better to be upwind than downwind. So pay attention to how storms normally travel through your system through your area i know in a, in, a, in georgia they kind of sweep uh westward south or like uh, from northwest and and loop do like a curve through the metro atlanta area and then head up towards the carolinas that's kind of how they yes. flow can i just add uh, i would recommend not watching cnn weather people if you want to know what the weather's really doing yeah that's probably a good <laughs> a good idea for the move. weather bureau for that matter the weather bureau sorry what was that i'm sorry uh to interrupt there the uh, i have noticed in australia here that 
uh, the uh, Bureau of Meteorology, which is our go-to for weather, uh, often says one thing, and reality out there says something completely different, and it's happening Absolutely. a lot. Mm. Please continue. He says, move far away from potential targets and upwind if you get plenty of advance notice. If you can't get away, then shelter in place. Stay inside, turn off your ventilation system, if feasible. Close all doors and windows. Fill containers with tap water prior to the fallout reaching the location of your local water treatment plant. That's a good point to make because you may not think about it, but your water is exposed to external elements before it gets to your house a lot of times. So you need to make sure you have water already on, on, uh, on hand. The, well, that's um, dependent upon having some warning, isn't it? It certainly does. It says and if, if you are, and this pertains to you tunes, if you are on well water, you should be able to safely use that for the immediate future. Great. <laughs> maybe, maybe tunes would be better off climbing down the well, actually, and then he'd have the water supply on hand and he'd also have a nice shelter from the yeah, nuclear, tell nuclear bomb. Don't reveal my escape plan. <laughs> um, You'll need a really long straw, man. Kiel, <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, question. So, as in the, um, or do we have a definition of like what is the immediate region? You know what I mean, like, or like the the high target, for example, of being in. Obviously, Atlanta could be potentially targeted. So if that were the case, how far outside of those city limits would mm. would be considered like directly in the fallout or do we know? Well, he does not address that directly in this document, but I ha I know that that really depends on the size of the bomb that's mm, yeah. exploded. Yeah. You know. Uh, oh, okay. I want to It I, also I, for some reason I want to say something like a radius of 30 miles. I think that's right. If, if it's a average? hydrogen bomb, it's it's a. I remember thinking when I was in London that I wouldn't be safe pretty much anywhere in the greater metropolitan area. So yeah, I think a hydrogen bomb would take out whole of London straight yeah. away, more or less. And yeah, it, as you say, fallout depends very much on the weather and the and the wind. So sure. Sorry, Terry. It's That's also right. very uh, dependent upon where it has been uh, detonated because uh, it has a lot to do with things. If it's detonated a long way up, like, you know, 2,600 feet or whatever, it's going to have a much yep. different effect yep. than if it's detonated at a much lower level. Uh, and a lot of that is to do with um, the wave, which I'm trying to remember what it's called, uh, the wave that it's like a, the shock wave sort of thing. so that, wave, that yeah. has a lot to do with it mm. yeah. yeah yeah and i think ground bursts are worse for uh nuclear fallout because they throw a lot of contaminated earth into the into the air which gets distributed as fallout um i've got a feeling that in the, the japanese bombs one was an air burst and one was a ground burst but don't quote me on that so oh. Well, and the other question, and I don't know if anyone here knows um, all all possibilities, but I wasn't really aware of this. So how many different types of nukes are there? The, the, the ones that were dropped on Japan during World War II are very different from the ones they have nowadays. And I, I can't give you the technical differences, but they're much smaller back then. Nowadays, yeah, I, they're I can, much bigger. I can say I can say a bit about that. They they were what they call atomic bombs or fission bombs. So they were using I think one used uranium and one used plutonium. Mm -hmm. uh, but now they have hydrogen bombs, which are fusion bombs, which are immensely more powerful. And they're the ones you see in the films where they, which Stella was talking about the other day, blowing up s small unfortunate islands in the South Pacific. Yep. Um, and uh, they actually use an atom bomb, a, a fission bomb, as a, a kind of trigger device to set off the fusion reaction. So you get the worst of all possible worlds, really. So, and they are enormously powerful, much, much more powerful than the bombs that were set off in, in Japan in the Second World War. I can't remember how much, but, you know, orders of magnitude greater. It was the ones in uh, 
Japan were kilotons. The ones they have now are megatons. So that gives you a a bit of a sense of scale. But so when I say I don't think we're going to see it coming, that's because one bomb, like I said, I think the average is something like a 30-mile radius gets wiped out Mm. uh, immediately. So there are uh, the United States has thousands of these bombs and the and Russia has thousands of these bombs. If they were to launch them all at once, there there's I mean it there'd be one less planet in the universe. Right. I mean it would if it would just exists. scour the 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 earth of all life basically. Very likely. Do, do you think there's any prospect of a limited nuclear war? That, you know, because they I, I have just, tactical nukes now, don't they? Right, like all battlefield nukes. Yeah, that's, that's, that would be if if Russia decided to do that. Um, I I don't think that would necessarily trigger us launching nukes at Russia, uh, because they they're kind of small, localized. It's not like it would wipe out. It, I mean, it, it would just be a smaller version of the terrible thing we all dread. But I don't know if we would launch our nukes at Russia because obviously if they're, if they're launching a battlefield nuke in Ukraine, they're not targeting the United States or our strict allies. And it's, you know, we're, we're not in danger necessarily. Uh, I, I don't know if you know, you, you guys know this, but during the Cold War, the NATO strategy was for first strike of nuclear weapons. So, so if there was a scenario where Russia was going to invade uh, West Germany, as it was then, for example, the NATO strategy was for the first launch of nuclear weapons. So that was that was you know that that's a that was a well known strategy. So they weren't going to wait for the Russians to launch first. Their strategy was always to launch first. Right. Uh, so, anyway, that's that's the scenario that's possible right now, and I I don't know how. Well, I don't want to diverge too far away. Let me get through this list, and then we can discuss the possibilities. Uh, the next thing he says is have plenty of non-perishable food. Obviously, that's something we all do as preppers, and yes. <laughs> you know that's not. Uh, he says, all right, here's the next thing: take potassium iodide. As soon as you find out yep. about an impending attack or immediately after the blast, but before the fallout reaches your location. He says, this can protect your thyroid from exposure due to radioactive iodine, which can be particularly dangerous. It only protects against that one radioactive element, though, and only works if taken prior to ex- exposure. Yep. Uh, next. Hey. If you must go outside, uh, and I'll add also that that's uh, important for pregnant uh, people that can carry babies. <laughs> uh, <laughs> right. Birthing. Uh, because it will also, it's, I, think, I think I've heard, it also <laughs> protects the, the, the unborn child's thyroid as well, you know. I think the term you're looking for is birthing person. That's it. That's what I'm Thank you. (laughs) Uh, If you must go outside wearing a tightly fit, uh, I'm going to say NIOSH. uh, I'm sure it's N-I-O-S-H. I don't know what the common common way to. That's typical. NIOSH is. is NIOSH certified respirator with a P100 HEPA filter cartridge will help reduce the amount of inhaled contamination. I know tunes, you're familiar with that sort of equipment. So you're saying you can't just put a cloth mask on your face? No, you can't put a cloth mask because those don't do anything. Wow, that's amazing. Those are just decoration (laughs) for your face. That's all a cloth mask does. He says, in this scenario... Oh. No no comment, no comment. Oh, okay. Remove (laughs) remove your clothes upon entering your house. Seal them in a garbage bag and throw it outside. Then I bathe... do that anyway. Right. <laughs> <laughs> then bathe with clean water as soon as possible. Because your clothes are going to collect all the dust and you don't yeah. want it sitting around, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, your area... Uh, now, here he, he goes into a little bit of uh, what to expect the authorities might do. 
your area may be evacuated at some point have all your important documents and quote can't live without it essentials gathered and ready to go so bug out bag again we all have that you may not be allowed back for months or possibly years also you and your belongings may be checked for contamination by first responders using radiation detection equipment right I had a sort of dry run for this, of course, last year with my my volcano that went off. That's right. Yeah. Did you uh, experience any sort of, I mean, trouble? I mean, did everything, uh, uh, as far as the evacuation went, pretty smoothly for you, as far as I can tell? We got out before we we got out before you know the the volcano. So in this. The, the analogy would be to get out before the bomb was launched. Mm-hmm. So we got out before the volcano went off. Uh, so we avoided all the sort of traffic jams. And uh, I, I think it was pretty stressful uh, for the people that got involved in the last minute evacuation. But we were we were on the other side of the island by then, fortunately. Because you were not you were not wasting any time. You felt just intuitively you're like, I feel like when we were having that conversation, look, these rumblings are far too close together for our comfort we're just yeah. going to go ahead and get out we were looking at the right? data we were looking at the data there's a, there's a sort of covid lesson here as well <laughs> we were looking at the data and analyzing the data and we could work out exactly what was happening so you know we weren't going to wait for the experts telling us their opinion we knew what was going to happen we knew it was coming close and we knew it was coming very soon so we got out two hours before fortunately my first question with that is um what did you bring in your bug out bag and what do you wish you had brought or what do you wish you had uh purchased Spain's a very previous? bureaucratic society so we ended up taking a, a lot of documents through half the car was full of documents you know and uh i didn't i didn't actually have many many clothes with me so we mm-hmm. had to Fortunately, people were donating things, so we had to go to local donation centres, and I was able to get some clothes there. But uh, I don't know, really. I mean, we lost a lot of our prepping stuff. You know, we had a lot of food stored, and because of what happened to the house, that got lost. So that was a bit of a downer. But really, I, I suppose, I suppose my lesson for for the bug out bag is you don't really need as much as you may think. You know, you can survive on on, on very little. I mean, it, our situation was different. We we were going to a place, you know, we were still in civilization. We were on the other side of the island. And we had shops and things. I think in a nuclear war, things are going to be somewhat different. So, you know, you might be relying on yourselves much more. So uh, I suppose ideally you'd have some sort of bug out place in the mountains somewhere where you can, with your dried food, where you could go and hide out. And a spare know, has anyone got any good tips for nuclear war survival? <laughs> uh, yeah, pray. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, you know, if you're in a in a blast radius, I don't think you're gonna. I don't think there's much you can do about it. Um, there's probably a lot of uh, Japanese, a lot of Japanese people that can tell you about that. I I would probably just grab a beer, take a seat, enjoy the show. At that point. Yeah. There's a lot to be said for that, yeah. Uh, I'm with you on that. I like... Yeah, because... Uh, go ahead, Stella. Sorry, Peels. Um, some of those things that you're reading out, as valid as they are, how long is that going to last? You know, take take a bath, wash yourself off. you got to let the bath water out. Then what? Uh, you've drunk your water. Then what? <laughs> you've taken your clothes off. Uh, you're inside. The windows are shut. Then what? That's going to last maybe a week, um, you know, don't mean to be a downer, but that is the reality. It's only going to extend your survival for so long. Yeah. Uh, My only lasts a long time, doesn't it? Or your canned oh, food right. and everything that's going to be covered on the outside with contamination, most likely, unless it's in a yeah. sealed area. So uh, it's it's optimistic, but yeah. My only thought with that is, uh, I think throughout civilization, whether you believe in new Earth or old Earth or however many generations came before you um i think modern man has faced far less struggles as our ancestors have so uh humans are resilient and my only thought is you know you don't know what you're capable of until you're backed into a corner so i I wouldn't be so pessimistic about it 
I think it, I personally think that it's just going to really depend on a lot of these factors. Like what we talked about, you know, how close really are you to the blast area? And then do you have time to, to actually get out? And if you can get out, if you can beat some of that fallout, um, you know, do you have somewhere to go? That's not going to be contaminated by the fallout. A lot of stuff like that too. Um, so I think it would just depend on what we're, what are we doing based on what do we observe at that time? And, and hopefully you'll be able to figure it out. I mean, there's a lot of those um, factors that we're not going to know. Where was it detonated? If, if it's happened, you know, we're not going to know if it was sky ground exactly where it was or, or whatever. Like, um, I mean, we probably have some targets, you know, maybe military bases and major cities and things like that. But who knows if it starts to get in sort of this cacophony of war, then, you know, and they're just launching everywhere, then who knows where they may strike, you know? So I think there's just so many variables. Uh, yeah, Gio, I think there would be a lot of uh, ad lib. Sorry, so you carry on. Oh, I'm sorry, Matt. Um, I think there would be a lot of ad lib. Mm -hmm. You could only plan so much, but at the time, could you think could you think straight enough for all that? You know, yeah, yeah. You're not going to get much warning, right? Sorry, Terry. No, that's okay. I, I, I was just going to mention that Keel uh, uh, was it a couple of episodes back mentioned one of my favourite books by one of my favourite authors, which was. Um, on the beach by Neville Shute no way. and uh, it's very relevant to this topic yeah. because uh, and Stella might be interested in this I don't know if you've read it Stella but there's a bit there's a big nuclear war and the fallouts washing its way over the world and uh, everyone ever ends up hiding away in Australia down in you know Melbourne at the southern bit and waiting for the the radiation to sort of wash over them uh, and there's a American nuclear sub commando who's sort of taken refuge there, and he goes out on a mission to sort of investigate this strange radio signal. It's a very good book and a quite a good film as well. And uh, yeah, it was, it's just sort of very sad whether whether that's going to be the scenario that you know basically the whole world gets wiped out and we're just clinging on in a corner waiting for the inevitable end. What was the name of that, uh, Terry? On the beach. On the beach. Okay. Is that during Neville like shoots, Noble and uh, stuff like that? Neville shoots a great writer, I think. He's one of my favorites. Was that during Sorry, like Chernobyl? No. It was a no. it was a it's fic it's hypothetical kind of modern times fiction. Um I don't remember I don't remember when it was written, Terry, but uh in the in the fifties, I think. Okay. He's he's quite an old writer. He was he was writing yeah. in the thirties, forties, and fifties. Yeah, it was, it was an interesting uh, scenario he had set up. It was like the, the trade winds around the globe had spared Australia, but it, the the fallout was winding its way down that way. So yeah, uh, they, they, everybody in the book, all the characters knew it was coming. So they were just kind of living out their lives, you know, as best they could. They were sort of uh, very sort of British stiff upper lip about it, really, sort of, you know, being very brave in the face of this adversity. It's uh, yeah. If that were the case, I do believe that humans would survive. I mean, we, we're, we're creative people, you know, and the strive to survive is strong. So I, I do believe that. I, I agree. I think, and I, I don't and know I if think... anybody else has a, uh, you know graham hancock's idea of civilization comes and goes i think i think yeah, this yeah. is just a peak i think that's very likely yeah yeah 100 yeah and i i don't think that every human you know is built genetically the same so there's well, going to be right. some people where that kind of fallout isn't gonna kill right away you know they're there's going to be genetically survivors. resistant. Yep, genetically yeah. resistant to be able to drink the water and yeah, I agree. And, and yeah, are... and um, and hope that there's some fertile people that survive. Yeah, so who knows? But you know, maybe it doesn't. Yeah. I I I wonder though if we are. You know, they have the whole um, what is it called? The nuclear clock or whatever it is that counts down oh, yeah. to yeah. war. Yes. 
the doomsday clock. The doomsday clock. That's what it yeah. is. Which is that whole thing's bullshit. But in politically, absolutely, that's crap. <laughs> but I wonder. In reality, are we closer to nuclear war nowadays than we were back in the in the sixties during the you know like the Cuban missile crisis? Cuban missile crisis and all that stuff. Is that? I mean, I don't think they would really be willing to put, pull the trigger on it, like because they would destroy themselves too. I mean, like I mean, you know. Well, that's the that- thing. If if Putin if it would all come from Putin thinking he's being attacked. You know, if he thinks he's pushed into a corner and NATO and America and all the rest are going are, are attacking him. I mean, wouldn't we do the same if, if we thought a nuclear power was directly attacking us, mm-hmm. wouldn't we react in that way? There's some stories from the Cold War that we actually came very close on a few occasions. There's a there's a famous one from uh, a Russian missile guy, and his radar was showing all these incoming missiles coming towards Russia. And if he'd followed his orders, he was supposed to launch his own missiles. And he thought, I'm not going to take a chance on destroying the world on what could be an error on this computer. And it did turn out to be an error on the computer. So, you know, this guy supposedly save the world by not following his orders but it could have easily gone the other way i i heard a very similar story about a uh, a russian submarine that was tooling around the american uh embargo of cuba during the missile crisis area era and the american ships found the submarine and started dropping uh signal depth charges to tell him to come up you know and identify himself but the people the russians in the submarine they hadn't had any contact with moscow in days and they thought they were being attacked and so by chance normally there's two captains on the submarine that have to make this decision but there happened to be three on this particular submarine and all three of them had to agree to launch their their one nuclear torpedo they had on that ship and they two out of the three said we're being attacked the war's already started we got to do it and the third guy said hey let's let's wait a minute let's surface and go and go talk to moscow first so they did that and turns out of course there wasn't a war already going on but that and that uh, story got shuffled away into the soviet archives until you know, the wall fell and everything, and that story didn't come out until the early 2000s. And he has, that one guy has since been hailed as the man that saved the world. But when his crew returned to Moscow, they were all chastised and criticized for not following strict uh, Russian um, protocol, which said something like, if you had, if you're discovered as a submarine, you're supposed to scuttle the submarine right. instead of surfacing and identifying yourself. But it, that's interesting because it, it sort of reminds me a little bit of another scenario we've been through recently, where uh, it's it's always necessary to have a hero, but how many times does that hero turn out to be a scapegoat? I'm yeah. thinking specifically about the nursing staff and etc. At this point. That's a great Quite a few um, times, I think. Great point. Yeah. Just to uh, just to go back to something I was saying earlier about the um, the wave that comes out first. It's called the precursor. That's a very destructive right. part of the uh, bomb detonating. Or hmm. yeah, the precursor. That that is the most destructive part, apparently. Are there any Legendary. documentaries or anything that you guys would recommend that you've seen to help you know give some information or something like that to people? Look at watch the Trinity, the Trinity documentary. Trinity hosted, and Beyond, it's called. Yeah, hosted by or narrated by Bill Shatner. Mm-hmm, it's a classic. Yeah. <laughs> and they can find it on YouTube. Yep. I was uh, very interested in the American scientist Richard Feynman, who's a, who's a very interesting guy, very entertaining. And uh, he worked on uh, the uh, World War II atom bomb project, um, the Manhattan Project. And uh, um, so there's there's quite a few interesting programs about him. And what he used to say about um, 
he he was sort of riven with uh, with grief about what he helped to achieve. Uh, and he he said that he used to sort of go for cups of coffee in cafes in a, in New York straight up soon after the end of the Second World War. And he was sort of thinking, why are they, why are these, you know, you could see building works going on. He was sort of thinking, why are they bothering building these buildings when obviously the world is going to get destroyed in the next few years? You know, he was very pessimistic about it, having wit witnessed it at close hand. So uh, that was quite an interesting take. And I think Oppenheimer was was similar, actually. He was like the head guy for the Manhattan Project. He was he was very sort of torn up about what he'd done as well. Wasn't he the guy that wrote... Um... I have become the destroyer of worlds or whatever it was yeah, his, his right, little yeah. quip he he gave after they detonated the great quote yeah the first yeah. one mm. I, yeah. I have become death destroyer of worlds that's right, right? Yeah. that's what it was yeah yeah did he um die a natural death do you know I think all those guys Denver? died of cancer didn't they a lot of them did yeah 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 mm. Mm. i have a question and i'd love to get you guys opinion on this Something sort of struck me um, about this whole nuclear thing. Now, we were talking in another episode about how war is generally more about business than it is about peacekeeping uh, and often started through, well, I think nearly every time, started through false flags, it's orchestrated. Um, so in that sense, let's assume that's true and everything is completely controlled it would not be necessary to have nuclear weaponry. The only necessary thing about it would be to keep the world in perpetual fear. That's their biggest weapon. Yeah. Nukes yeah. are fake. <laughs> I am not disagreeing 100% with you there, Turns. <laughs> I mean, the only reason to have a nuclear arsenal is to um, protect your, is to, you know, persuade other nations with nuclear arsenals not to use their nuclear arsenal against you that's the main purpose yeah. of having one my arsenal was bigger than your arsenal does my <laughs> arsenal look big in this <laughs> there you go your arsenal looks great <laughs> Thanks, no, i suppose you could argue it's been quite successful from that point of view because you know we haven't had a nuclear war yeah. since since the bombs were dropped in world war ii we My don't thought need on that to. topic, yeah. So, so if if the U.S. develops a nuclear bomb, and that is the uh, I win button, you put, you're playing risk. That that is the I win button. Um, wouldn't as soon as any other power, whether it's allied or or uh, you know oppositional, whatever, friend or foe, as soon as they start to develop a nuke, wouldn't you just press the I win button? Because I have the I win button. I'm just going to press it, you know? <laughs> if uh, nukes are real. I think you'd have to have the... You'd have to create a situation wherein the people that you govern are okay with you doing that. And they've never done that before, right? Well, they've... Well, the, uh, the official story, and I'm not saying I believe it, was that the Americans weren't aware that Russians had the nuclear weapon until they tested it and then it would you know then you could say well it's too late now they've got it so well that was after the treaty wasn't it there was a treaty called uh or was it before that there was a treaty called um after they sort of realized how powerful these things are um and then russia apparently let off a, a bomb after the year oh, of the, the treaty the test the test ban treaty to, to ban nuclear tests. I think that was a bit later, yes. wasn't it? Yes. I'm not really sure. It might, that I was think after they'd done stacks later. of tests. Yeah. I think the Russians had the nuclear bomb quite early, didn't they? Pretty quick. Late 40s? Not 100% sure on that one. Uh, 48, maybe? Yeah, I think so, yeah. Something like yeah. that. Well, the US, the US were conducting tests between 1945 and 1962, apparently. Uh, the, the atmospheric tests. And then I think they were banished to just underground tests. Right. And then we went to the moon. <laughs> That's right. Or not. <laughs> Let's nuke the moon. Allegedly. <laughs> okay, so Keel. Uh, 
Um, sorry, I was going to say something else. There's an interesting uh, theory knocking around the internet that uh, the basically the Americans or the Saudis, their their allies, have used tactical nukes against the. Um, oh, help me out here. What war are involved in? Yemen. Somebody. Yemen, Yemen. Thank you. Against the Yemenis, and uh, I've seen some film, on, and they certainly look like extremely powerful explosives. And you know, we know that you. They can develop extremely powerful explosives, uh, but somebody said, "Oh, this looks like a tactical nuke to me." Somebody who supposedly knew what he was talking about. So, um, there's a possibility that these have been used already. Yeah, uh, that was the. I think the, one of uh, Tom Clancy's novels suggested that the Israelis had nuclear-armed uh, fighter bombers uh, that were during one of their wars with their neighbors. Um, I, uh, movie was based, I can't remember which one it was, um, but uh, one of the planes was shot down and the bomb was still there buried in the sand and then somebody came back later and extracted the um, fissionable material out of it and sold it to somebody, some terrorist, and then they nuked some city in America. That was the, right. the premise of the movie. Hmm. So, I don't know. It's a rumor that all those guys have been throwing nukes at each other, so who knows? Yeah. I'm actually hoping that somebody, well, military intelligence is intelligent enough to uh, make sure that Biden has a pretend button in front of him. But um, <laughs> when yeah. uh, they were uh, doing a test, it was called the big one in 1954, um, Castle Bravo was called. Uh, there was a very, very, very large detonation was two and a half times larger than the previous one. Uh, and apparently, <laughs> allegedly, there was a Japanese fishing boat in the vicinity that was in air commas, not noticed in the original clearing zone. Uh, this resulted in, obviously, these fishing crew were uh, severely burned, etc. Um, the footage was released and, and it was actually quoted as saying this put the concept of fallout into the public mind what does that sound like to you uh, starts with a p propaganda man and, and mm. ends with agenda yeah, <laughs> yeah. i was gonna say yeah. it starts ends with a proper with a y. And ends in again <laughs> I, I thought it might be a psyop yeah <laughs> well, and that <laughs> Yeah, we don't know. We don't know. I mean, how did those people survive? If that's, you know, if radiation, I don't, I don't know. Well, if they were far enough away from there. it, if they were you far would, enough away, they could have. Done you would it. only get burned. You wouldn't get vaporized. Yeah, I'm not sure exactly how far away they were. I mean, it's plausible. Ground zero. It's plausible they, you know, they're clear in the area, but they just weren't being thorough enough with their radar. And that boat was far enough away that they just didn't notice it, you know? Okay, well, so so they, they didn't notice a fishing boat and when they're supposed to be clearing an area. So I shudder to think that these same people have that much power in their hands. Hey. Well, I mean, Couldn't do they, something they don't simple mind, like that? Yeah. They don't mind testing nukes on members of their own military, do they? They've famously done that a few times in the New Mexico area. So uh, oh, I don't suppose they worry about foreign fishing boats too much. They That's what I was thinking. It's very just as likely that they knew what yes. they were doing and that they allowed it to happen because they were like, fuck it, let's see. Let's see what happens. That's exactly, care. yes. That's exactly what I thought too, Ashley. Yeah. Yeah. And it's what, you know, we see that happening over and over and over again with a lot of experiments that are being done on humans. As yeah. we know that they don't care who was harmed by, um, you it's, know, it's what, for the whatever they good. Got. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. I almost had like a, a visionary flash of, of, of the generals all standing around and someone saying, Sir, sir, there's a fishing boat in the in the. We have to stop, and the general just going, no, no, let's just leave it. Let's Nuke just em. Let's go. Nuke Just yeah. go with it. Um, it. Kiel, I, oh, sorry, Stella, go ahead. No, no, I'll finish. Okay, I just wanted to uh, to make sure, Kiel, did you finish your list, your recommendations? Yeah. Okay, yeah, it's all covered. 
Okay, perfect. Um, the other thing, maybe um, we can post that on our website or post it on a second page of our show notes or something like that. So people will have that um, information. And then the other thing was, do we have some other sites that might be helpful, like a site that would say, okay, how much is the recommended iodine to take that kind of thing. And then the other thing I was hoping that maybe we could touch on if we, if we do have enough time is to talk about some of the other, you know, the fear around the word nuclear and because there's an association with nuclear power plants being dangerous and nuclear bombs and, and that kind of stuff. I I don't know that much about it, but. I can give you a, a website. Okay. Um, it is the Health Physics Society. This is a website my brother quotes to me when he is tired of me asking him questions about stuff like that. Uh, HPS.org, the Health Physics Society. They have a search bar and you can type in all sorts of different questions and they have articles and all sorts of different things for uh, browsing. Okay. wonder who um, runs that website. It, according to my brother, it is, it's not a government related thing. It's a, it's an independent organization run by scientists. And we all know how reliable scientists are these days. <laughs> I think the scientists. Science. I think we should do an offshoot <laughs> and have Keel and his brother on here talking about <laughs> things. Cause I think I would be interested in listening to you two go back and forth. <laughs> yeah. Well, Maybe uh, next time me and him are having a few drinks, I'll I'll, put, I'll hit record on my phone. Press record and share it for us. <laughs> right. It's, it sounds like Keel's brother makes Keel look like a really crazy conspiracy theorist. Well, we, <laughs> I, I swear, there's there's a there's different. Well, it, it's we've had plenty of uh, plenty of great conversations <laughs> along those lines. Is your anyway. brother like in similar thought to you about the whole pandemic or? Are you guys a little bit like, are you like a little bit more, uh, as other people would say, kind of like crazier about it? You know? I'd, I'd hate to speak for him, um, but I know at least initially we were not on the same page. Uh, I wasn't with, my entire family was really pushing for me to get uh, vaccinated and all this stuff. And um, nowadays... Even my my parents, my dad was telling me the other day. He said, uh, he he said, well, I, I guess you were right about this whole this whole time, you know. And wow, that's great. And, uh, it was uh, wow. yeah, it was a uh, what do you call it? Uh, awakening. A, uh, hmm. Like an awakening or like a. No, I, I was gonna say it's a. Uh, it was a moment where I felt. Um, vindicated vindicated yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah it's probably bittersweet though yeah like it's a little late to be right about that you know yeah yeah but yeah. Th Nothing. thankfully my family hadn't didn't have any sort of tragedy due to due to the covid situation so you That's know there's good. there's not there wasn't a whole lot of well if we had known back then kind of stuff i mean it, everybody went and got vaccinated and all the stuff and they're fine nobody was harmed by any of that they didn't so stop talking to you or segregate from you either. No, right? they didn't do they didn't do anything like that either. My my yeah. family's pretty rational. So it's yeah. not like they freaked out and ostracized me or anything. But they they were genuinely concerned for my health and you know my family's health. And uh but there were there were a few conversations back then that were stressful for me at least. I'd like to yeah. uh just tip my Akubra to you for that. In fact, I'd like to tip my Akubra to all of us for standing strong, holding the line. We made Definitely. it. Right. We Definitely. did it. As we Biden fought through said, all the threats. As Biden said, yeah. the pandemic is over. It hasn't come without loss. I've lost a lot of people out of my life. Yes. A lot of people I love very much who now think I'm completely insane. Um, I did very much doubt any of them will ever come back and say you were right, but I don't care about that. I just want them to be okay. Yeah. I just wish they knew how much I loved them and that how much I sacrificed because I care about them. We've all been there. I'm not just saying it's me, but that was my experience. No, that's really good. Is that's that's nice. I, I I still um 
I have some resentment still about all these these crazies, really, because you know they've they've forced us into all into a bad situation. And I, whenever I go out and see people still wearing masks in the street, when it's you know it's not mandated here anymore in Spain, it was in the past. I just think you crazies are going to force us into another bloody lockdown. You know what the hell are you doing? You know, wise up, God's sake! Mm. Yeah. <laughs> so I, get, I still still get very angry about it. Yeah, I yeah. I don't I don't hold it against anybody for any of the decisions that they made during the past couple of years. I just what really breaks my heart is the idea that we weren't we weren't allowed to do things. We weren't allowed to make our own decisions. And yeah. if there's a brand new vaccine and you feel like you need to go get it because you're at risk, I, I say go for it. You know, that's that's you feel that's right for your your family and your life and your whatever your decision wants to be i mean why can't we all just make our own decisions about these things and, the and let the chips fall where they may totally okay we're, with that. we're yeah. all gonna we're all gonna make it and we're all gonna have we're all gonna be smarter about it in the end because we'll have a control group you know <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah yeah we I think we you just want to uh, start to wrap up sorry to you know i'll let you say what you're gonna say no i, I was just gonna say Kiltor just wants a new grandma <laughs> <laughs> that is the, grandma. i think that should be the title of the episode <laughs> yeah <laughs> That's great. beautiful beautiful new or nuke 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 don't nuke um, grandma Nope. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm all about personal choice. Um, so to um, we should sort of wrap up. So to, to bring it back to our topic, uh, if anyone offers you, offers you a vaccine against nuclear fallout, I would be somewhat skeptical about whether you should take it or not. Yeah. If it doesn't have uh, nuclear iodine in it, I'm not taking it. <laughs> <laughs> Even if Fauci recommends it. Think twice. Especially if he recommends it. Yeah, you, <laughs> yes. that makes sense. So uh thanks everyone for, for joining us on this uh interesting topic and uh look forward to joining you all again and joining all our fans and our listeners next time on Union of the Unknown. So let's all say bye for now. Bye bye. bye. Well. Don't lose hope. The nukers are all full of hot air. <laughs> <laughs> And we made it and we survived. We weren't forced to get into what we did not want to do. We fought back and we won so far. Yes. All right, you yes. guys have a great evening. You Love too. Bye. Bye. Thank you for tuning in for another episode of Union of the Unknowns. You can find new episodes every week on all your favorite podcasting networks. 